Hello, everyone, and welcome to our podcast. This is Pastor Mike with the Aliante Community Baptist Church. We invite you, your family, and friends to join us as we study God's Word. So, let's begin. Well, I'd like you to take your Bibles out. We're going to be looking mainly at the Old Testament, what is generally referred to in Hebrew as the Tanakh. And we've begun a series of looking at the champions of the faith. And uh, so we began a few weeks ago, we looked at Enoch, and uh, last week we looked at Noah. And uh, today, and for the next uh, few weeks, uh, we'll be looking at the life of Abraham, the friend of God. And so uh, go ahead and turn to the book of Genesis. Genesis, or in Hebrew, Bereshit. And beginning at uh, chapter 11, and verse 26. Now Terah lived 70 years, and begot Abram, Nahor, and Haran. This is the genealogy of Terah. Terah begot Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Haran begot Lot, and Haran died before his father Terah in his native land, in Ur of the Chaldeans. Then Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, and the father of Iscah. But Sarai was barren, she had no child. And Terah took his son Abram and his grandson Lot, the son of Haran and his daughter-in-law Sarai, his son Abram's wife, and they went out with them from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan. And they came to Haran and dwelt there. So the days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was seventy-five years old when he departed from Haran. Then Abram took Sarai his wife and Lot his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people whom they had acquired in Haran, and they departed to go to the land of Canaan. So they came to the land of Canaan. Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, as far as the terebinth tree of Moriah, and the Canaanites were then in the land. And then I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to the prophet Isaiah and to chapter 41 Isaiah chapter 41 and beginning at verse 8 the Lord speaking through the prophet Isaiah says 
But you, Israel, are my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the descendants of Abraham, my friend. You, whom I have taken from the ends of the earth and called from its farthest regions, and said to you, You are my servant. I have chosen you and have not cast you away. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Behold, all those who were incensed against you shall be ashamed and disgraced. They shall be as nothing. And those who strive with you shall perish. You shall seek them and not find them. Those who contend with you, those who war against you, shall be as nothing, as a non-existent thing. For I, the Lord your God, will hold your right hand, saying to you, Fear not, I will help you. Let's move back now to Genesis, as we look here at Abraham, the friend of God. And that clock isn't quite right. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, if someone at the right time, I want to make sure I don't go over here. <laughs> It's an hour. The minutes are right. Okay. All right. Very good. So the question: Who was Abraham? Who was Abraham? And and uh, here initially his name was uh, Abram, or Abram, as we would pronounce it in uh, in English. But his name was Abram. Really, a uh, compound uh, word or name. The first uh, first uh, little word Ab or is his father. And then Ram means lifted up or exalted. And so he is the exalted father. And really it refers to a sense of nobility or loftiness, the eminence of the person. Now, I disagree with uh, some of the, uh, there, there are various theologians that take the position that uh, before Abraham was called by God to leave Ur of the Chaldees, that he was uh, a pagan. I don't believe that. Um, the Bible teaches, if you do the figuring, and uh, most will tell you that Noah lived some 350 years after the flood. And Shem lived to be over 600 years old. And when you do the timeline, you find that Shem was still alive during the lifetime of Abraham. And who was Shem? Well, Shem was the son of Noah. And it is from the tribe or the, the lineage of Shem that we get the Shemitic or Semitic people, those who inhabit the Middle East, and namely the Jewish people. And so am I to believe that if Shem lived, and he did live to be that old, because that's what the Bible teaches, and lived during the time of Abraham, that he would not have shared the true God? Are we to believe that Noah, who lived all that time, would not have shared all that he knew about the true God? You see? And then, of course, Shem had a son named Arphaxad, and he lived several hundreds of years. 
into the time of, of Abram? And are we to believe that, that they just forsook God and became pagans? No. While Ur of the Chaldeans, and Chaldean is, is it's another um, name for the Babylonians, or Babylonian. And just because an individual lives in a society that is pagan doesn't mean that, that everyone who lives in that society is a pagan. For all you have to do is look around the United States of America and you see a tremendous amount of paganism. But does that mean that we then are pagans? No. And so I believe that Abraham knew the Lord. And there was something special, very special about this man, Abraham. Approximately 25% of the book of Genesis is about Abraham. Consider that. The great-grandson of Shem, the son of Noah, from Ur of the Chaldeans in Mesopotamia, Iraq, and then they moved to Haran because God had spoken to Abram and said that he was to leave Ur of the Chaldees. But being respectful of his father Terah, his father Terah basically took the lead. They went to Haran. They stayed there for approximately 20, 25 years or so. And then eventually Terah died. And then Abraham continued on into the land of Canaan. Now, I want you to turn also to the 17th chapter here in the book of Genesis because there's some very important information. I mentioned in Sunday school today, Bible study, that ignorance of history is really tragic. And ignorance of God's word is even more tragic. So chapter 17, and beginning at verse 1 in Genesis. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am Almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless. And I will make my covenant between me and you, and will multiply you exceedingly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you, and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in their generations. Now listen, for an everlasting covenant. And I asked the question this morning in Sunday school, what does everlasting mean? Forever. To be God to you and your descendants after you, that is forever. Also, now, right here. Also, I give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan, as an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. 
the land of Canaan is modern-day Israel. But sadly, the, the modern boundaries of Israel do not include all of the land that was originally Canaan, that God has promised to the Jewish people. But we know that the scripture teaches that in time, they will possess all of it because that is God's intention and his promise to them. Now there's a discussion with respect to the, the name Palestinian or Palestine. Some say, well, it was, it was um, derived from the Philistines, etc., etc. Others say, no, a Roman emperor named it after his wife to basically to disrespect the Jewish people. But you need to understand that there has never been a recognized Palestinian state. But Israel, or the land of Canaan, goes all the way back to the beginning of time, and it is God's intention that the Jewish people inhabit all of it. And no country has the right to demand from Israel that they give up the land that was given to them by God. And when the Lord returns, and we've mentioned this before, he's not returning to Washington, D.C. <laughs> or to New York City, or to Tokyo, or to Moscow. The Bible teaches when the Messiah comes that his feet will touch down on the Mount of Olives, the Mount Olivet east of the temple and he will come across and he will go through the eastern gate into the holy city now in an attempt to keep that from happening the the muslims have walled off the eastern gate and they put also a graveyard there right god created the sun and everything else that is in existence. And a few bricks aren't going to keep him from entering through that gate. Amen. But let's go back to chapter 12. Very important as we move on. Abraham, the man whom God blessed. Now, we mentioned already that God commanded Abraham to leave home. He commanded him to leave home and also to leave his family. And sometimes, to do God's work, one must leave home and they must leave their family. Because oftentimes their family will hold them back from fulfilling God's will in their life. And of course, Abram's father Terah passed away, went home to be with the Lord, and Abram then continued on into the land of Canaan. Now notice the promises. The Lord spoke to Abram. And he made some promises. What was he promised him a land? To a land that I will show you, God says. Abraham really didn't know where he was going, but God guided him. God led him. He says, I will make you a great nation. And when you look at Israel, the modern, the modern state of Israel, the Bible says in other places that it will bloom. The desert will bloom. And hasn't the desert blossomed there? 
When you stop to consider that after AD 70, and many of the, of the Jewish people were taken into captivity and others left, there were always a remnant of people, of Jewish people living in the land of, of Canaan, the land of Israel. But the land was very desolate. As a matter of fact, I believe it was Mark Twain who went there sometime in, you know, uh, during his lifetime, and he said it was a rather barren place. Rather barren. But nomads would move in, and they would squat, and then as time went on, they began to claim certain portions of the land. And then I believe it was around 1960 that they came up with this idea of calling themselves Palestinians and referring to the Jewish people as occupiers. That's a lie right out of hell itself. The, the occupiers are those who moved in to the land that belonged to the Jewish people. And the war that, that is raging now, and the Bible teaches us that as we get closer and closer to the end of time, when God ushers in and the Messiah returns, that not just one nation, not just two nations, but all the nations of the world are going to come against Israel. And so scholars and theologians now are wondering, is this the precursor for what is to come? And there's a reason why our government refuses to acknowledge that Iran has part in this with Hamas. They know that they've been training them and financing them, as well as Hezbollah and all of the other terrorist groups. But you see, the Bible says that this nation and in the Bible it's referred to as Persia, will come against Israel in the latter days. Now, who is Persia? Persia is modern-day Iran. Quite amazing. It's all in the Bible. Why? Because God knows all things, and he knows how everything is going to transpire. But God's people are not to be ignorant of God's word. That's why we must study it. But notice he says, I'll make you a great nation, and Israel has become a great nation. We often refer to, to nations as sister nations, but Israel is our mother nation. You say, what? I thought, Europe. Oh, Israel. The Lord says to Abram, I will bless you and make your name great. Now, we don't agree with the, the Muslim theology, but guess what? They respect Abraham. They view Abraham as their father because he is their father. You'll recall that he had um, a liaison, we'll say, with Hagar, and uh, Ishmael was born, the father of the, of the Arabs. And 12 princes came uh, from, from Ishmael. So indeed, he is their father. But Abraham is the father of the, 
of the people who have a monotheistic religion that is believing in one God. Now, we don't believe that the Muslims believe in the true God of the Bible, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, although that's what they say. But if they did, they would not be doing the things that they're doing now. The Father says, I will bless you and make your name great. And we as Christians, and of course, our fellow brother and sister Jewish people, respect and acknowledge Abraham, the friend of God. And notice he says, and I will make you a blessing. You will be a blessing. And it's from the Jewish people, the, the descendants, and we read that in chapter 17, the descendants of Abraham, the Jewish people, that we have the word of God. That we, we know that God, our Father, created all that is in existence. Everything that we know of God, we have been blessed through the nation of Israel. God is faithful and he keeps his word. Now sadly, there are various factions within Christianity who actually believe or teach that the church replaces Israel. That is not biblical. And that is not correct. Some within what is referred to as Reformed theology, they say, well, God is, is, is through with Israel. That is incorrect. The Apostle Paul, over in the book of Romans, says, My heart's desire for my people Israel is that they be saved. And that is our heart's desire. Because that is God's heart's desire that all people come to know Him and to love Him and to worship Him. And of course, our Lord Jesus Christ is Jewish. I was inviting some of the folks at the meet and greet to come to church and a lovely little lady, she said, well now I'm Jewish. And I said, well that's great, Jesus was Jewish too, okay? So you're welcome. <laughs> and she just kind of looked at me. You know. <laughs> and I mentioned before, that there's actually a movement that has been taking place over in Israel and many of the young Jewish people, as well as even Arabs, who are coming to accept Jesus as the Messiah. And I recognize that it's difficult for people, both Jew and Gentile, to accept Jesus as Messiah, but the Bible also teaches in the prophets that the day is going to come when he does come that they're going to cry out what are those wounds in your hand hands and in your feet and in your side and he's going to say these are the wounds that I received in the house of my And the Bible teaches that they're going to weep. They're going to weep as one who has lost an only son. Why? Because they're going to recognize once and for all 
that he is in fact the Messiah. And he comes. Why does he come? He comes to deliver them because the nations of the world come up against Abraham, against Israel, and the Lord comes to deliver them. He says, I will bless those who bless you. And those of you who are here today and you're, you're Jewish, you need to understand that the Bible teaches us that we are to love one another. And we are to support Israel. We are to stand by, we are to pray for, we are to love, and we are to recognize that you are the Lord's people. But because you are the Lord's people, also remember, remember and acknowledge that evil does in fact exist. And the evil one continues to attack both Israel and the church in an effort to defeat. But the devil already knows that he is a defeated foe. For the scripture teaches, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. He says, and I will bless those who bless you. We bless Israel because it is right to do so. And as the church, we're commanded to pray for Israel. And it is a privilege to pray for Israel. And then notice he goes on to say, and I will curse him who curses you. I'm not going to apologize for God. God is sovereign. And yes, how devastating and how tragic it is that the innocent lives are lost as a result of evil. But Israel has a right to defend itself. And we can read over in the book of Ecclesiastes, there is a time for war, there is a time for peace. And there is a time to kill. Those words fall hard on some people. Yes, they should. We should be sensitive to that because our God is the God who desires life. He is the giver of, of life. But that doesn't mean that he doesn't also hold us accountable. And he will hold those accountable who have attacked Israel. And Israel has the right to defend itself. Sad and tragic, the loss of life, especially among the babies. But when you consider the things that these people have done, cutting off the heads of babies, going into a nursery, and killing babies who are in the cribs, who does that? Who does that? The devil does that. Those who are given to, to the devil and to, to evil do those kinds of things. And then right here in our own country, you have those who are supporting these terrorists because they're ignorant of history 
and they're ignorant of the truth, and they're unwilling to admit the truth. Cowardly. Notice in all, and in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed, because it is through the seed, the Bible says, the seed of Abraham, his offspring, his descendants, all the way to, through our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the offspring, many generations passed down, who has come and has given his heart. He is the Lamb of God, slain before the foundation of the world, shedding his blood because he is the ultimate sacrifice. That people everywhere and from all walks of life might come to know the love of God. All of the sacrifices of the Old Testament, the Tanakh, all of the, all of the ritual, it points to him, the ultimate sacrifice. He's described, the, the Messiah is described in two ways, as the suffering servant and the conquering king. But he came first as the suffering servant. He had to pay the price of our sin. Not his own. But the sin of the human race. That's why he's referred to as Emmanuel, God with us. In the incarnation, God becoming a man and going to a cross, paying the price that only he could pay. All of the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him. He obeyed, he believed, and he obeyed. And the Bible says he believed God and it was accounted unto him as righteousness. So what do we learn from these passages? And this is just an introduction to the life of this great man, Abraham. God chooses special people for special tasks, for God's will. And Abraham was one of those mighty, special people. God's calling often requires a person to leave home and family. Sacrifice. Sacrifice. The nation of Israel was taught the importance of sacrificial living. And, you know, we have a tendency, we, we read through the Bible, we just kind of read right over certain things. But we've mentioned before that in ancient times, when a person had to bring an offering for their sin, they had to bring this animal, and there, together with the priest, they had to put that knife to the, to the animal's throat and cut it, and kill it right there, acknowledging that that animal was dying. Why? To pay the price for their sin, for their guilt. All pointing to the Lamb of God, the suffering servant. When God calls a person into service, he leads, he guides, and he provides. Abraham walked with the authority of God because God had told him to do so. And God has all authority, and he gave him the land of Canaan. And he promised his presence and his provision. And lastly, God blesses his people and makes them a blessing. God has always saved by grace 
Our God is a God of grace, unearned, unmerited favor and kindness. Now, as we bring this message to a close, I want you to turn again to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53. And this was written, spoken and preached by the prophet Isaiah to the nation of Israel some 700 plus years before Jesus walked the earth. And notice what he says. Beginning in verse 1. Who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness, and when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death. Because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hands. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. There is only one man that fits what was spoken and written there. And that was Jesus Christ. We're going to sing a hymn of invitation. The invitation is a time to respond to God. To respond to what He lays upon your heart. It's not a time of manipulation, as some have accused, you know, preachers. No, that's, that's not our desire. That's not our goal. The invitation is God's invitation to give your heart, to give your life to the Lord, to come to know Him as your Savior. 
and to be filled with God's power to live a life that is pleasing to Him. To discover His purpose for your life. We said that God calls people to special tasks. And God intends for His people to be a blessing. What has God called you to do? Well, during this invitation time, you can respond. As we sing, please stand. And as we sing, you make your decision to join the church, to accept the Lord, to rededicate your life, to follow in believer's baptism. Whatever that decision is, you come to the Lord and make your decision as we sing. pray that you have been blessed by today's lessons from God's Word, and we invite you to contact us with any questions that you may have, especially questions regarding your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to help you with your walk of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and with your understanding of His Holy Word, the Bible. Our contact information is listed in the podcast show notes. May God richly bless you.